it's still a rude robot. It's still a rude mm. robot. It's British. We knew that. Yeah. How did Ellie refer to it? Having a Minecraft accent? Hmm? <laughs> I don't understand what that means. No, but yeah. I love it as a term for British people. listening to Boku no Stop, an anime podcast that knows the best way to make it through this episode is something real, like pain. I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, and with me is... Matt Marcus. And I'm Garrett. And today we're talking about The Woman Called Fujiko Mine, episodes 9 and 10. Content warnings for today's batch include weird rituals with a kid, literal objectification, suicidal ideation, suicide, animal testing, human testing, and whatever the opposite of incest is, I guess child abuse. Opposite of what? <laughs> I don't know how to describe the doctor's relationship with his daughter otherwise. I guess. I, I guess. I, I didn't. I, what? I, maybe I just chose not to read into that part to to add that one to the list. I couldn't figure out a better way to phrase Dr. Kaiser's fixation on his daughter so but it didn't Mm. seem like lust it just seemed like no yeah so that's why that was the best phrase i had for it (laughs) okay 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 that makes a little bit more sense what you're talking about (laughs) i was like (laughs) oh strange okay yeah yeah i'm i'm being sold on on this that makes sense explained out yeah 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 so it'd be like, what? Isn't that like just neglect? <laughs> like but it's extreme yeah, neglect. But it's like, not neglect because he's very concerned with her. So that's why it's. I mean, uh, or is he just very concerned with his instinct. science? That's the question. Yeah. Anyway, let's start with episode nine: "Love Wreathed in Steam." We open at a geyser at a hot spring, specifically Hatami Hot Springs. And there are a bunch of very obviously white tourists around uh, who are shouting, uh, you know, for geishas and taking pictures with them. And uh, they have all the uh, carnival games up. Uh, So we see uh, Jigen and Lupin and uh, Jigen is at one of those uh, shooting games, you know, with the little gun with the cork. Lupin's like kind of ripping him a bit. He's like. What made you uh, take my invitation, Jigen? And he replies like, well, I'm homeless and I'm broke. So a spot vacation sounded good. (laughs) So like he keeps hitting things. And of course, nothing falls over or like budges at all. And he keeps shooting at this one uh, thing that looks like, I guess it looks like Dumbo. It's like kind of like a little elephant toy. Yeah, it's an elephant with his hat. Yeah. And the other one is this Derringer pistol looking thing. And... You know, and he's jawing with, like, the shop guy. And he's like, hey, man, like, I'm clearly hitting these things. And the guy's like, well, it depends on where you hit it. And uh, at the end, Jigen just 
takes out his gun and shoots uh, the back of the stall so that all of the uh, prizes fall. And the two that he wanted, he grabs from the air and just says, I'm taking these. And he leaves as the tent collapses. And you'd think that a bunch of cops would show up after uh, some gunfire. But, you know, don't worry about it. I mean, they do show up. Eventually, but not for this. Just saying. Look, it's a it's a hot spring. And gunfire is just part of it. (laughs) Oh, it was fireworks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, The pair are here, though, for the Great Circus. Um, which turns out to be um, more or less just like a freak show that has like a snake swallower and then um, a tattooed woman, which kind of becomes the main focus of the episode here. Uh, spoilers. It, it, it's gross. It's, um, it's so, a lot. It's a lot. I don't know if it's, it's gross. <laughs> it is definitely. Well, okay. The child abuse part is gross. Yeah, well, I think that's the thing we mostly care about here. I mean, the the I mean, there's clearly this objectification of like this woman that we see who like didn't even get the decency to be taught like, you know, like words and things like that. Sorry, for some reason, my brain just took it as you were getting really judgy about tattooed people for a second. I don't know <laughs> no, why. Is not the tattooed that's the problem? Well, the tattoos are also a problem. <laughs> If they're probably the least problem of the rest of the problems. But sure, mm, I guess. I mean, it's also not good. <laughs> I mean, also, the snake lady is definitely giving herself salmonella. Uh, that That's not what you do with snakes is uh, put them through your nose. I do love the joke of the snake lady. Uh, I don't know if this is just a dub only. She starts choking on the snake as she's running it between her nostril and her throat. And the thing she says to calm the crowd as they start booing is, sorry, guys, I get a little dry after the 15th time. Yeah, that, that's more or less yeah, what she says. Yeah, they the made Japanese the same too. joke in the sub, more or less. <laughs> okay, should, we, should we put a content warning for snakes going through holes that they're not supposed to go through? All right, I'll add that back in. Why not? <laughs> so anyway, we get to said um, this tattooed woman um, named the Kaleidoscope Woman who is in a burqa until her full body art is shown off. Um, She is being described as the final piece of a dead artist, a full body canvas um, tattooed as an infant and allowed to grow re-inked as she did in new forms. So we see this tattooed lady who is tattooed pretty much everywhere, including her tongue, possibly her eyes, because there's a starburst pattern in there. I don't want to think about how that would work. Um, her eyelids are done, you know, a, a lot of everything. But then it's suddenly not a show, but it's um, bidding to own her, which uh, also gross. Incredibly gross. And like, they're already going into the millions. And it's like, Jesus, fuck, this is so dire. Don't they also kind of like lead it up where like they talk about like this abomination of like someone born from like a person and like someone in the jungle which is also gross um i i don't the pitch remember is the exact that phrasing. she is a child of i don't know if it's brazil i think my brain is saying brazil because i'm thinking of blanca because it's a very blanca's backstory type of pitch before we see the woman yeah a baby from the deepest jungle i mean they they also show 
a, a picture of the child, you know, like as an infant, this woman as an infant with like the umbilical cord still in and all the tattoos already on the baby. Yeah. Yikes. Look, never let it be said that rich artists in Lupin World cannot be just as insane and debaucherous as a dictator, a mm-hmm. rich person with a castle, uh, Prince Andrew. There's a lot. I think you just said the same thing four times. <laughs> so, a very poorly disguised Lupin and Jigit, Lupin is just wearing a mustache, for God's sake, mm-hmm. are in the crowd, and they're about to make their move, but someone else drops the tent on them instead. Another robed figure moves in on the tattooed woman, but Jigen shoots out the beams on the stage, and Lupin hops in their way. Uh, the tattooed woman is now naked and on the run through the hot springs. And the roped one, we discover, is Fujiko, because security chases her and disrobes her in a failed attempt to catch her. So our devious duo find the woman first, and it's like they're just hiding in the garbage cans that she's hiding behind. Don't think about it too hard. It's a Lupin episode. This is yeah. one of the most cartoony Lupin uh-huh. episodes. There's a bit near the end that I'm taking a screenshot of and making the art because no one will believe it if we don't. <laughs> There's some extremely silly shit in this episode. Yeah, they're, they bring her back to their hotel room. She's in robes, so she's clothed now. And uh, she is mute uh, because she was never taught how to human. So she was basically just raised as an animal, which is... Again, gross, especially considering that people were about to buy her and that our two main protagonists are going to sell her. Mm, Anyway, it's questionable because at the mm, end, I think Lupin has known this whole time, which is why he's here. But then he's screwing over Jigen, who is not going to get paid and is still going to be broke. That's true. But that's kind of Jigen eats a lot of shit in this series. He really does. Yeah, but Jigen uh, hands her the little elephant toy and uh, suddenly, you know, and she's like enthralled by it. She loves this little thing. And suddenly Lupin leans forward, flipping the no, table. He leaps for He leaps lunges for, at Jigen. Yeah, it looks like he's trying to, because like Jigen is starting to connect with this girl. He's like kind of getting blushy around her. I mean, she, she is hot, of course. And uh, yeah, so Lupin like just, yeah, leaps forward, kicks the table up and the table then gets uh, riddled with gunfire uh, that comes in through the window because it is Fujiko who is wielding a submachine gun and is just taking no one's shit today. She is just going full murder machine. Uh, the duo comment on this when they are fighting and Lupin, of course, has to throw in a jab saying that hey maybe it's that time of the month because it's a full moon well they cut to a full moon immediately afterwards just so if you didn't realize (laughs) (laughs) so it's her time of the month she's a werewolf now (sighs) but anyway uh they do manage to get the woman uh onto a small junk a ship a junk and uh sail away down the river how is it that we've done multiple recordings about discussing a junk in the past few weeks? Yeah, it is bizarre. It's been a junk-heavy bit here on Pitch Drop. 
No Nut November? More like All Junk November. <laughs> all Junk No Nut. Make, <laughs> make, make Daddy go crazy. <laughs> well, that explains Fujiko. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we then flash back to Fujiko playing uh, a kept woman, uh, quote unquote, on another job where the guy she's with is watching an auction lineup. Um, Fujiko sees the tattooed woman on, per- on parade of the items and her eyes go wide as the I'm having a flashback noise plays. As the television announces where the auction is being held, um, Fujiko just gets up and walks out without saying the word, and then we see her uh, staring into a bathroom mirror. And we get another psychedelic flashback. This one intersperses captions with little sequences, the first being, The Tale Called Life. And we see a young woman bound to a table, Then from below, a series of owls making very hungry faces, some with forks or scalpels in hand. The caption is then, The tale called Fujiko Mine. The girl screams as we see the forks and knife scooping some kind of fuchsia liquid from God knows where. And finally, Fujiko, give your tail to me. And we see a much fancier owl, white in the back, just staring, standing straight up in a teal suit and scowling. And this is where a bottle in a different color hits the screen and smashes the mirror in front of adult Fujiko, shattering the flashback and bringing us back to reality. We cut back to present day, and she just says, I swear, one way or another, I will make it mine, as she grapples across the river. So we got our eye catches. The first one is Jigen's hand pulling the tattooed uh, wrist of the woman along. And the second one is Lupin in a teal robe holding a bath bucket and towel. Uh, The trio have headed to a cable car and activated it. And as they make it out of range, Fujiko begins firing wildly at it and then starts uh, terminatoring after them by running up (laughs) the cables like a tightrope. The animation on some of those shots is just amazing. Uh Yeah. And... Jigen even comments here, see, that she's just out to fucking kill us. And, uh, like, Lupin also, like, realizes this, like, oh, it doesn't matter if she hurts the goods. She She's clearly playing a different game. It's interesting. This episode is very action heavy. Yeah. Like, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, yeah, you know, we have pretty much from the tent drop onwards in the circus uh, auction, we're just getting... Fujiko pursuing them. We're kind of speeding past sequences like them running through hotel rooms when she's in pursuit. There's yeah. so much. Yeah, and she's shooting at every instance, just going full bore. Yeah. Submachine gun fire everywhere. Yeah. So then as Fujiko takes to the top of the cable the cable car, um the trio seems seems trapped, but Lupin sees one passing by on the other side. So with a counted out five-step plan, um, the trio uh, gets to the car, hurl the woman, and Jigen shoots their former car's strut, um, stranding Fujiko before the car falls to the earth. And then um, Lupin comments, um, if she dies in a place like this, she's not the woman I thought she was. 
and um, Jigen is getting a little irritated by the whole ordeal because Lupin clearly knows more about what's going on than he's telling, and the thief has left um, the woman in his care. And and also, he may have murdered another woman. Right. <laughs> I, I, I think Jigen is guess, totally. But, uh... I think Jigen is totally fine with that. He hates Fujiko in this series. That's true. He does. Is but it's like, well, I don't think he loves having a body count. I don't think he loves having a body count, but I think he absolutely is not going to feel bad about sending the woman who has just spent an hour pursuing him, riddling everything with bullets to hell. Yeah, this is different from a tragic love who played me. This is like, no, 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 not doing this. Mm hmm. We get this little interlude with these, I would call them off-model if it weren't for the fact that there's really no model for anyone in the suit. These round, bulbous cops just driving around the hot springs. Mm-hmm. They're just chatting with each other. Ah, you know, it's probably going to be hard to find her. The only description we got is painted lady. And then they just see her sitting on a bench. Jigen has wandered off to probably get food. <laughs> I can't believe so, they just he just left her there. It's so silly. On the main street. Yeah. She's not even tucked away. The cops literally are just like, oh, right out the oh, window. Oh, right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's the silliest. Oh, I would say it's the silliest thing that happens in the episode. It's it's the silliest plot thing that happens in the episode. <laughs> yes. That's true. There's a lot of silly things that happen in this episode. Yeah. And we're just about to get to it. <laughs> yeah, it's a very Lupin styled episode in that sense. Like I said, there's one sequence I'm going to call out because I need to remind myself to take a screenshot of it for later. Mm -hmm. But Lupin has left because he's going to check out the ruins of the cable car and he finds no body. He then sees her grapple hanging from one of the wire towers that hung the cars up. By the way, is there a... I guess tram might be a better term? I said cable car, but I also realize some people are going to think like... A streetcar. I was going to say the thing from Resident Evil 4. Yeah. Was there one of those in Resident Evil 4? Yeah, the you take the gondola down. I think it's like right after you get Ashley. Which time? The first time. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And at the I, very it's least... on the way down to the lake. At the very least, there's one near Sadler, so you're right. Anyhow, the human canvas has been picked up by the cops, but a car begins speeding behind them, trying to ram the group off the road. And it is Fujiko in a big-ass 60s convertible, driving like we're watching Christine. Mm -hmm. As she continues ramming the police car, the back window shatters, and the toy Jigen gave the girl flies out, so the painted lady leaps out of the car, full body after it. Mm -hmm. And... This causes Fujiko to 180 her vehicle, completely ignoring the cops, and just floor it for the girl. The only thing that prevents her from uh, turning this painted lady into uh, painted roadkill is Jigen shooting out the tire and uh, just spinning the car away from uh, the painted woman. And he arrives with a rickshaw. Okay. <laughs> he did because... have it earlier in the episode. That's true. But he begins hauling ass away from Fujiko, but not but not before she returns the favor by shooting the wheel 
off of the uh, off of the rickshaw. And the way the rickshaw ends up hitting the guardrail, it basically pins Jigen in place for the rest of the scene. He's like, help, I am stuck. And I'm he... like, oof. Help, step thief. <laughs> step thief. Fuck. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, this sends the woman flying into the air, of course, and Lupin catches her and uh, and he runs off down the hill towards uh, the source of the hot spring. And Fujiko runs after them and they're like, okay, Fujiko gets to, through this, you know, little bit of brush and she sees the two of them sitting in a hot spring and they're naked and stuff. And <laughs> of course, Lupin's like, Hey, you want to join us and make this a threesome? <laughs> Yikes. And so she immediately begins uh, shooting. And then when we cut back to the reverse shot, uh, they are actually not sitting there. It is a wooden cutout with them painted on and Lupin sticking his head through the hole like it's one of those photo op things. And he he pick, points his head up on one part. She shoots at it and he ducks. His head points out out of the other hole as she shoots at it and ducks. And then he just bails. It is so silly. He he taunts her some more, and then he begins running across the water, more cartoonish than ever. They're not even animating him on the little bridge through this. He's no. literally just doodly doodly doodly. We're dragging the cell across. <laughs> yeah, and it's like he's his legs are still moving up and down, but it looks like a mechanical like toy thing. Yeah, it's it a looks walk cycle. Really silly. It's yeah. just a walk cycle. They do the same thing as Fujiko follows as well, which is hilarious. No, she's on the bridge. Well, she's on the bridge, but like they still like it's it's like they're just like dragging her her drawing across the static background. Well, yeah, that's not that's not the thing I find silly. It's the fact that Lupin is just hot stepping it over the water somehow with a woman in his arms. It's real goofy. It's, it's full extra, extra Hanna Barbera Yogi Bear. I'm taking a screenshot because this is so silly. The thing is, I wish it could be a GIF because, like, you, <laughs> I know you, you will not understand how silly this looks without seeing it in motion. That's fair. So Fujiko uh, pursues, as we said, um, firing wildly. Um, but then, just for comedy, um, she slips on some soap and barely catches herself on a rock. Um, it was established before that. Like, they're near, like, a volcano or something, so the water's super hot, which is why they're not running through the water anymore. They're just running on it. Yeah, well, if you're looking. <laughs> um, she barely catches herself on a rock, and the Uzi goes flying into the springs. Um, Lupin gives a snippy, uh, the judges give it a ten, a ten, and a ten um, from the side where he's stopped running. Um, and then <gasps> Fujiko then proceeds to just pull out a knife to keep pursuing. And at this point, they head into a foggy area that a sign tells us is a volatile natural gas spring. As soon as Fujiko gets in, Lupin tells her to hold it, pulling out his gun and saying that one spark would blow them all away, and he'll do it. And the thing is, it's not his gun. It is the Derringer thing from the uh, from the carnival game fair yep. yeah well he pulls out a gun and says he'll do it yeah <laughs> so he presses Fujiko on what's going on here because she's clearly not in her right mind 
or out for the girl as a prize, the way she's just going homicidal, she's not aiming, she's just spraying and praying. And he says, I think you don't want to kill her. You want to kill yourself, because you see a mirror. A girl who was twisted and pulled off her own path by strangers, no way to get back up. And you're right, this is the sequence where the held-down flashback replays. Okay, yeah. I knew it was later, but yeah, you're right, this is the spot. So, very shaken by this, she just asks, And if I do, what do I do then? And Lupin just casually brandishes the gun around, going, Do I look like the person you should be asking that question? So, she throws the knife. It ends up disarming Lupin, and she catches the gun out of the air. And then she points it to her head. And Lupin says once again, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't do that, you know, because we'll all die. And uh, he, he's got a smirk on, but he's <laughs> he's visibly sweating because he's like, she might actually do it. And when she pulls the trigger, it turns out it's just a squirt gun in the shape of a pistol. Wah, wah. Because of course they didn't sell a real ass gun <laughs> at a carnival shop. I thought it was going to be like a, a, a lighter styled in, in the style of a gun, to be honest. Yeah, Let's a lighter would have been possible, yeah. Maybe you have different carnivals where you grew up. I could absolutely get a real gun at a carnival. Like, when I was growing up, one of the first knives I got was one from a turtle race. That's hilarious. Uh, Also dire, but also hilarious. Yeah. It was a big, ornate dagger. Anyway, uh, like, I do like the animation of the water, uh... As it hits her, like it's it, the, th- the funny thing is that it is a lot of water for a very tiny gun. <laughs> so it's like, That's where did true. that water come from? <laughs> there's no there's no tank big enough for that. Uh, but she has like completely broken by this because uh, well, she just tried to kill herself <laughs> and survived. But she begins walking off despondent into the gas away from the other two, just in time for Jigen to catch up and draw his gun on her. Um, Lupin kindly reminds Jigen that firing on her would kill them all. And as she gets away, um, very slowly, Jigen takes his frustration out on the male thief. Where Jigen goes, okay then, so what's the story with this woman? What's going on here? And Lupin's like, nah, I'm good. Or more specifically says, nope, I'm not letting that cat out of the bag just yet. My life's become a lot more fun since Fujiko came around. Um, and then we slowly see Fujiko vanish into the fog. I just loved uh, further traumatizing this woman. It's great. Which, you know, they're they're working out their karma because they're doing the exact opposite here as we smash cut to the hotel room and Jigen is smearing a skin tone paint over the girl's cheek. Lupin and Jigen are disguising her as a normal lady and trying to help her start a new life by leaving her at a Buddhist temple in a box. <laughs> so I guess she's just going to become a nun. I guess so. Meanwhile, on the side of the road, wandering in a fugue, Fujiko is just going, what the hell? What the hell? Until she looks up and Shamisen strings play as who do we see staring at her but a scowling Goemon. Credits! <laughs> and it says to be continued. And then we don't see the two of them next episode. <laughs> That's true. Is the to be continued new or did I imagine that? I also, but it's been a while. I also was asking myself that because at the very least, 
The to be continueds on both episodes this time are in different fonts and title cards. Yeah, but they've always been doing different um, eye catches, right? So, like, I think well, they've done different eye catches, but mm. the the black and white cards have always been a very standardized style. Well, right. so I guess in the case that this is the first time we've really seen, I guess, the implication of more direct serial stories being told. And I guess True. parallel this is, serial stories. This is a very cliffhanger ending compared to so many other cases just wrapping up. Yeah, all the other ones have been more or less self-contained with like some broader threads. Yeah. Um, uh, editor me, go back and check if the prior discs episodes, because we're on disc two now, had any of the to be continued. I don't think they did. They did not. But that takes us into a very weird episode, Ghost Town. <laughs> it sure does. Yeah, because this one is quite literally a trip. <laughs> <laughs> All right, because it starts with Lupin waking up in a morgue after slapping a butterfly off of his face, screaming Fujiko's name. And the floor is slick with blood, and he wanders out into a snowfield of what looks like massacred dolls with flowers growing out of them. I think they look like poppies or something. Probably like are. That. Um, but yeah, it's got a different art style to it. I mean, this whole series has been a bit of a sort of a melange of different aesthetics uh which is kind of what makes it look cool well it's so blatant because there's this watercolor style that like the opening and some mm. of the title cards are done it and these flowers all look like they're drawn in that watercolor style yeah yeah but then he hears a voice muttering fraulein yule over and over again and then he wakes up in his own bed from the dream, once again, screaming Fujiko's name. And like his room is like really funny. Like, I guess this is supposed to be his actual room. <laughs> like, where Well, he... we saw his kitchen in one of these. It's just as psychedelic. Yeah, yeah, it's trippy. Like his the, the decor is already pretty trippy, but it also kind of feels like a holding cell a little bit. Like it's a very small room with like mostly made out of bed. And then he like, there's a bathroom across the hall. That's all we see in these scenes. But it's kind of bizarre. Anyway, a man in an, in an owl mask is standing behind him. And he asks, so are you going to make good on your threat? Lupin uh, brushes the man off and heads toward the door towards his bathroom. Um, the owl man follows after um, seeing a tape recorder left on the toilet which lets a now-armed, via the tank toilet, or the toilet tank, uh, Lupin get the drop on him. Um, the uh, intruder um, leaves politely, and Lupin makes a wide wave um, to toss a trekking beacon onto the man, gesturing to the door. We then smash cut to Zenigata exiting a plane. Oscar is there, too. Mm -hmm. The inspector has shown up at... I don't think they give a name to this phony country, but no. it is just a tiny place in the sticks. Because Zenigat is even commenting on, boy, this is a crappy little airport. And he's going to have an investigation of Count Louis U. Almeida. The local constable says, you know, it's the middle of the night. We could rest at the station. But no, Zenigata insists they leave now, even if this means they're going to arrive around midnight. Across the town, 
We see Lupin rappelling into the same... Rappel? Lupin rappelling into the same manner. And then we hard cut with a title card to several months ago, (laughs) where Lupin was actually invited by the Count to the same location and asked to steal from the Fraulein Yule cult way back in episode one with like, you know, the, the sex cult and all the drugs and, and the, the flaky skin, you know, the dandruff <laughs> that makes you trip. So when Lupin resists, he is threatened with a bunch of machine gun toting owls, owl people, and uh, also offered a large stack of cash, which I don't know if he ends up taking that cash. But he does. I, okay, good. Good for him. And uh, the job is simple. He is to he is to steal uh, a woman who is from the cult, who is in the cult right now. And he is handed a picture of Fujiko on which a butterfly lands. In the present day, Lupin has snuck back in to investigate the manor a uh, second time. And then um, Zenigawa pulls up outside, which um, Lupin sees. Um, Zenigawa is playing it cool, but Oscar loses his temper and begins threatening the intendant and just like overall um, being shitty because he's Oscar. Um, Zenigawa, it's so, ru- it's so rude. Like honestly, like no, Zenigawa I'm sorry. Oscar is such sucks. A dick. Oscar, okay, Oscar also sucks. But if your subordinate should probably at least know the basic details of what they, what they're tagging along to help out on, right? So, I don't I'm think Zenigawa gonna... is like wanting Oscar to tackle on. Zenigawa's nah, just like, look, if you're gonna be here, shut the hell up. I mean, honestly, you could have done. I mean, this is a flashback, okay? So that kind of makes sense that he's there. Like, you could have made like Prison of Love, like his send off episode, where it's like, okay, you crossed the line, you fucked up, you're done now. That's true. maybe that's what ends up happening. Then we wouldn't get the absolute chaos of him trying to lead the fortune teller investigation. Like, that's where mm. Zenigata goes from, Ugh, this rookie kid, to, you're a fuck-up and how dare you. That's true. So Zenigawa brings that back things under control and just says, look, I'm here to see the Count to ask about Lupin. Um, the owl-clad attendant um, does something we'd never seen one of them do before. Um, which is the the very owl-like turning his head around 90 degrees like an owl and then invites the pair in. Um, Zenigawa uh, also comments on how everything, legitimately everything, has um, owls over it. And the servant mentions, of course, the place does. They're servants of Minerva, the goddess of wisdom. And one of those owl decorations has an eye move to follow the group. From the ceiling, Lupin has been listening to all of this and quietly thanks the inspector for making it easier for him to move about the manor while they're distracted. So Zenigata continues, mentioning Lupin interacting with the cult, and this is the first time we see that Zenigata has put together what Lupin was actually there for, but he's just acting on... Well, we know that he was there because someone wanted him to steal the drug, thanks to Lupin's note in episode one. Mm-hmm. So, as far as he knows, Lupin was there to steal the dizzy drug and clean up experiments that Zenigata suggests the Count's pharmaceutical company was performing on human volunteers with the cult as cover. Lupin, in a back room with documents, 
makes much the same connection, discovering that yes, the Count was testing quite a lot with that drug. Mind control, MKUltra-style experiments, we get some particularly... I don't know if we needed them flashes of animal experiments and things being done to humans. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, they're not animated, but still gross. Yeah, yeah. It, it, this episode's a lot. Um, basically, imagine if you just had the Lupin staff animate random frames of Peter Gabriel's Shock the Monkey, and that's what you're just getting amidst this. It's so strange. Okay. That, that, it, that, it's a good song. Uh, Oh, oh, okay, Sybil. That I, I usually don't call out when a reference of yours is really, really dated, but... It was the mid-80s. Exactly! I wasn't alive in the mid-80s. Mm. <laughs> but I'm sure you've heard Shock the Monkey. Like once. Well, guess what? We're, no, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to put copyrighted music in the middle of this episode. <laughs> Not that it hasn't stopped us before. I don't usually try to do American record company music. That's way fair, higher chance fair. of getting flagged than I'm using the unreleased soundtrack to the Lupin the Third series. <laughs> but Lupin, master thief, constantly out for cash, is just disgusted with what he calls the medical mafia trying to control people via fear and mistrust. It's a great little monologue. He then comes in through the Count's bedchamber ceiling and draws a gun on the white owl who looks like he's laying in bed with his, you know, blanket up to his chin. And do birds have chins? Some do. Okay. I, just, I, I, I said that and then I thought about it and went, wait a second. The bottom of his beak. Let's just go with that. Yeah. And uh, he says that, uh, you know, I can really hold a grudge because uh, one of your men uh, disturbed my sleep. And uh, that uh, was very rude of him. But it turns out the owl is not a real person. It is a mechanical device with an owl head on top of it. It's a clockwork robot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So is this character named Heigl? I think he quotes Heigl. I, he refers to him as Heigl in one thing. Maybe it's just the dub making a mistake and not catching a reference. Okay, because in the in the Japanese, um, yeah, the servant re, you know says a line like some kind of I I couldn't tell you I didn't write it down. And uh, Lupin's like quoting Heigl, eh? And uh, gotcha. The Maybe the dub just about, screwed up because yeah. he just refers to him as Ah Heigl. And I, I thought he was just referring to him by the name. No, nah, yeah. So I think in this case, he was recognizing that it was that was where it came from. So it's a either way. The, the owl does not have a name and doesn't appear in the rest of the episode. <laughs> so this is moot. <laughs> yeah, no, like, here's the thing. All of the owl people are completely anonymous. Other than the count being the one with the white head. Right. But the count is not here or does it exist? Who knows? Um, we'll find out later, I'm sure. But yeah, then uh, the servant starts talking about Minerva, a goddess of war and wisdom. And the servant has walked up with a bouquet of flowers and oh, it becomes okay. very clear that. that they're drawn in the same ink watercolor style as in the dream. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So he approaches him with these uh, strange looking flowers. And uh, as he continues, the mechanical owl turns its head and spits out a cloud of the Fraulein Yule drug. 
And uh, Lupin, he was like, he he drew a gun on the owl person, but he was still like within like the bed curtains, like around the bed. So like, and that ends up trapping him in with this cloud of drugs. So he can't escape before he passes out. Um, we then go uh, back to the inspector, um, is being driven away by the constable, and Zenigawa asks about the nearby town of Eulenspiegel. Uh, We're going to go with that. That's the one. The constable tells him it's a ghost town now, and nobody's allowed in. Um, and then Zenigawa says that he's looking at the Glacius Pharmaceuticals lab. Glaucus. Uh, Gl- Glaucus Pharmaceutical. I only wrote it down once. I don't know if I spelled it correctly, but that is the pronunciation they use. That looks. That's what it looks like. Yeah, because it's Latin. Okay, Glaucus Pharmaceuticals um, lab that was at that place. Um, we see Lupin wake up in the morgue again, and I feel like like they go back to like the same shot or similar shots of Lupin waking up in the same way multiple times throughout this episode. So mm-hmm. it's pretty much done in the same style as the previous two or so times so far. Um, okay. So uh, just to jump in here with some uh, quick Googling. So Glaucus is a Greek god, is a, a prophetic sea god that was born mortal and turned immortal upon eating a magical herb. Huh. So well, there that you would, go. That would fit with some things. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so after Lupin wakes up uh, in a morgue again, he heads outside. Um, now we can tell this seems to be the said uh, pharmaceutical factory. Um, there is a voice. Um, the voice uh, muttering earlier is a man in an owlish biohazard suit. And he is um, Dr. Fritz uh, Kaiser, a doctor left behind, quote unquote, in this town. So the purpose of this lab was to manufacture and research the fear of death. It is between the lines implied this place was founded by ex-Unit 731 members. And there's also some implications with Dr. Fritz Kaiser that this may have ex-Nazi scientists working on it too. Mm -hmm. Just real fun everything there. But... As he's leading Lupin through the place and showing him different rooms, he is monologuing about how the subjects who were dosed with the most potent compound, based on this flower they found, began having full mental breakdowns, seeing visions of owls, and one most infamous case was where the drug's name came from, an individual who stopped saying anything but the words Fraulein Eula over and over. Lupin asks why the doctor stuck around, and he suggests it's because he's looking for his daughter. Lupin's narration, not the doctor, says that her name was Fujiko Mine. And we get an eye catch where Fujiko's hand is holding a butterfly, and then, if you're watching the Blu-rays or the streaming version, it just smash cuts to a terrifying watercolor owl in a suit staring directly at you, the viewer. Mm-hmm. So when we return, the title card tells us we are now 13 years in the past and it's Dr. Kaiser's birthday. Uh, so like, yeah, he's like in a clean suit with two other guys. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, by the way, congratulations. And then he's like, what did we do? And it's like, it's your birthday. And it's like, well, I don't care about that. Uh, <laughs> because he, he's got uh, guilt over robbing his daughter of her birthday. And... 
you know, he's basically also says like, oh, these things are meaningless. You know, there's no point to them and celebrating them. It is better then, to celebrate how close you are to death than the age of your birth. Yeah, yeah, he's being real dour. Yeah, good, fuck him. Anyway, an alert goes off, and the Kaiser runs in without a mask as everyone else on the staff flees. And then uh, the spill that happened that day wiped out the whole town. Uh, Lupin is then handed a photo of child Fujiko, his daughter. We'll put that in quotes. Uh, But when he lets it fall, the doctor has disappeared and turned into a pile of photos. And then it like he looks back at the photo and then looks back again. And the room has now become more desolate and all the photos are gone. It's trippy. Uh, there's this weird thing in the the high dive uh, sub where whenever um, the doctor says daughter, it is specifically subbed as the German word for it. That sounds like something that's in the original Japanese that didn't carry into the localization. Because okay. that doesn't happen in the dub, but there's one bit at the very end that sounds like it's a callback to that that was hard to place at Interpol HQ, he comments on how he's looked over the research data they found. And he says, yeah, this doctor was a real bitch. I think he was using his daughter. Everything, every note about her is using the word something, and it's in German, but it's not translated or explained. And my presumption is it's not the word for daughter, but it's the word for subject or patient or something. Okay. Um, yeah, I could say what was subbed in the high dive version was daughter because I did look that up and it was it was that in German. Okay, so maybe yeah, maybe there's a different bit at the end that's meant to make a runner click. Um. Mm-hmm. So anyway, after that, um, we now see Zenagawa uh, wandering through the same places uh, Lupin did, um, but they're ruined now. Um, Zenigawa explains that he's known the whole thing was a pharma company this whole time, and the only mystery is, like, why Lupin is uh, caught up in this. Um, Oscar is hurt that this uh, info wasn't shared to him, but Zenigawa just goes into Oscar, just pulling the, well, excuse me, I don't think I work for you, you know, you didn't need to know, or you didn't know because I didn't want you to know and you didn't need to know. You can come along if you want, but this is my case, so, like, back off and don't do anything. It's real cathartic, because Oscar sucks. It is incredibly, yeah, cathartic. And like I said, this is basically the beginning of the end for Oscar. Right. So, Zenigata and Lupin confront each other, but the two flee when some goons in biohazard suits begin shooting up the place. During this chase, Zenigata gets lost, but not until both men explain, yeah, the place is covered in the drug, and they both know this is some kind of illusion. He just doesn't want to test what happens if his brain thinks he's been riddled with illusionary bullets. So, inside the morgue again, one version of the doctor stabs Lupin through the hand with a scalpel after he sees a vision of the doc vivisecting him. But then another one beckons him into an underground escape tunnel. At this point, the doctor says that he thought his research could, quote-unquote, end the war. Um, So he sacrificed his daughter, um, possibly at the birthday party that um, 
blooms up around the men in what was a snowy graveyard. Um, but the Count's company took his research and daughter both, burying um, Kaiser and the town to hide the secret. Um, somewhere in the birthday, the doctor vanishes, and the party's star begins to begins narrating to Lupin, saying that she is here because this is my tale. Um, she tells him, and this is child Fujiko, for the record, um... She tells Lupin that the doctor was one of those who never found their way out of this maze, quote-unquote, back to reality. Um, but he can do it if he just holds on to something real. Like pain. Pain's a good one. <laughs> so Lupin begins clenching his wounded fist as he follows the girl through a hedge maze, but she's teleporting around him and kind of mocking him. He finally comes up with an escape by saying he gives up, she can do what she wants. And when she obliges and bites his hand, he just wraps an arm around her and goes, ah, can't get away now. Until she turns into an owl that flies up and strikes him like a bullet, waking him in a burst of pain. The doctor walks up again over his unconscious form in that snowfield, but this time under his mask is not the bald man, instead an owl's head. The doctor puts a gun to his neck, and we do not see him pull the trigger, but we hear it. Zenigata, meanwhile, was in this building, but he had passed out. The constable and Oscar find him unconscious and unharmed by imaginary bullets or real ones. However, Zenigata got his evidence laying out for the men back at Interpol HQ, uh, basically saying, oh, yep, this company fucked this up. And they scoured the town to cover their tracks. Uh, they're linked to this cult. And he's got all the doctor's photos with him. And saying, uh, the sick bastard even used his own daughter. And uh, this is the know, thing I mentioned. Her, yeah. 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 Referring her, to her in her notes as Tolcher, uh, Tolcher. I'm not sure exactly how it's pronounced in German. Uh, but yes, it is, it is the word for daughter. Okay. It is the word for daughter? Yeah. I just I Googled it. That's incredible. Then why does that line even, I guess just he says daughter in the notes, but that's such a weird way to phrase that. And you would kind of assume that given the international, like, you know, savviness of the characters, they would have understood the German, uh, right? Well, I think Zenigata does, because if that if it's just, yeah, he's using daughter in the notes, but also, what a shitty scientist. You don't want your subjects identifiable from your notes nope yeah that's not i i would not i would think that the people working for glaucus pharmaceuticals are you know probably not using the most up and up scientific method it's still so strange yeah no it's it's for dramatic purposes it's clearly not for you know <laughs> realism this is not a very realistic episode yeah 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 uh, the problem is they can't use this evidence because uh, Eulenspiegel is private land and Zenigata has just trespassed to steal this data. Meanwhile, elsewhere, Lupin wakes up in his own bed again, screaming Fujiko's name. Uh, the owl man is behind him once more, but when Lupin turns around to face him, he fades away and Lupin downs his sanity. As uh, we cut to the credits, uh, the last thing we see being the stab wound and bite marks on his left hand. 
so before I ask how you thought about all of this, what did you think of that episode? It was a drug trip. I liked it. Uh, the <laughs> thing that's a little confusing about it is chronology, right? Because there's a mm -hmm. lot of jumping back and forth and sort of like they should have started with 13 Maybe not 13 years in the past. Start several, you know, cut out the several months ago jump mm -hmm. backwards and just start there. You know, start at the beginning of the story, then jump to modern day and then do the flashback to 13 years ago. I, I feel like the way it's currently set up, it's confusing because also there's no way to tell the passage of time with these characters other than what do they know or what events have they described happening already? Because it felt like a couple of times it wasn't clear whether or not Lupin was approached before or after the Fraulein Yule first episode bit. Like, you mm -hmm. figure it out eventually, but it's a little messy. And then you have all the stuff of what is, you know, layers and layers of psychedelia and what is real. And there's clearly real things that happen to uh, Lupin. But don't think about it too hard. It's just trippy nonsense. The real point is that uh, we got some Fujiko backstory in an episode in which she doesn't really exist. Anything else? Other than as like a psychedelic uh, flashback. No, I mean, I mostly agree with that. Like, it was hard to follow, but I mean, I definitely liked this episode, especially more than um, episode nine. I wasn't super big on episode nine. Um, mm -hmm. But no, yeah, I thought this one was good for like its overarching uh, plot stuff and kind of moving forward towards the finale. Um, I mean, I thought it was interesting. But yeah, I think just like the chronology and like trying to follow when and where how things were happening. Or, mm -hmm. like, when things were part of the drug trip versus not and stuff were kind of hard to tell. So, like, it yeah. was it was easy to grasp kind of the very broad strokes, but trying to dive deep into it is where it gets convoluted pretty quick. Yeah, it is funny how I part of me feels like it's a little underwhelming that the big bad is just a giant pharmaceutical company. Now, like a particularly evil one. <laughs> for the record, but like, it feels very mundane and I guess that's probably okay. But when there's a lot of, you know, other psychedelic stuff, I, I guess it really does fall into a different version of exploitation film kind mm -hmm. of history, right? Like it's got that Nazi thing <laughs> a little bit. That's true. Uh, Nazi experimentation. I straight and up didn't expect unit seven thirty one the first time. <laughs> God, because they call even... out there are it was founded with the aid of ex Japanese scientists. And it's like, oh, I was unaware of them of this until you mentioned it in the notes. And I took a look and went extreme yikes. And yeah, <laughs> now I see all the parallels and go, oh, no, this is extra gross. Um, um For what it's worth. And I will throw this in the show notes. If you actually want to learn a lot about the history of that and how it ties to, say, certain other governments' plans in the area of bioweapons research, there is an episode of Ghost Stories for the End of the World, which covers M.K. Naomi, the CIA's plot for bioweapons development, and how a lot of ex-Unit 731 people found their way to the U.S. after the war. Yeah, but I would uh, just major caveats on all that uh, in terms of content. 
uh, oh, a lot of bad yeah, shit. No, it's going Extreme. to be linked with, you know, this is some 201 level upsetting content, but it's a very <laughs> interesting thing to follow. And that's straight up what this story is doing. Hey, what if some of them became capitalists instead? It makes 555 Kinderheim seem tame. And it's real. And it's real, which makes it way worse, obviously. Uh, the, what's, what was there? Was, I had another point about this, too. I mean, it does seem a little pat that we just immediately now know a lot about Fujiko's background just through hallucination and all that. But I'm willing to, like, give that a wave because, like, you know, it's just interesting to watch and... I don't know how much we really know, though. I mean, we know, like, there was some experimentation stuff that happened, but I feel like we don't know, like, the extent or what that has, like, done to her, really. Yeah. Also, um, we didn't mention in the notes, but, um, during the bits, there's things where it shows, like, Fujiko has, like, these weird, like, tattoo things on, like, the, the bottom of her feet don't know what's up with that but they're there mm, was that? That. uh it was an episode 10 at some point like some of the shots when like the owl people are doing stuff when it when you see like the bottom oh, yeah. side of her feet there's like this ah, colored it. swoosh tattoo thing mm. uh maybe keep that in mind okay i will yeah, keep the one that thing in I mind would... The one thing I would say about episode 10, I, I I am a bit of a mark for when rivals have to work together to, like, survive a situation. So Zenigata and Lupin kind of trying to escape together, however brief. Uh, that was cool. I like that. I, I agree. That was also pretty cool. So uh, it, it's very funny that Oscar just wasn't present in any of this. Here's the thing. I take it as. A. Lupin and Zenigata never actually met. Oh, because like Zenigata each other? wandered off like one room from where we saw the confrontation with Oscar and was unconscious in a hallway. I assume just like the, the drug psychedelics somehow mixed or something. Well, I presume he just wandered off and got knocked on his ass by all this, whereas Lupin has been developing a tolerance. Hmm. Oh, maybe. Because Zenigata investigated this whole place, but we only see him in one scene with Lupin that he vanishes from. And he doesn't seem any worse for wear. He doesn't mention any contact with the thief. He's just like, why is Lupin here? Mm -hmm. I think the Zenigata with Lupin is a hallucination in Lupin's trip, and they were there at different times. Yeah, see that I could believe that, but that's also leads to the intentionally confusing structure of this episode. Also, am I remembering correctly? Didn't doesn't Zenigata say that people who take too much of the drugs sometimes turn into owls? Uh, that's something that the doctor is saying. Okay. Yeah, there's there's a lot of yeah. Yeah, because again, that's one of the things. What is? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like what that's is one the, of the things that's questionable question, if it's real. Yeah, like because people are seeing the owl people when they are not drugged, and they're just an owl person. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is this? 
we'll get more answers on the elf. I'm sure we will. I don't know. I I defended the Castro episode saying that you kind of need the non-chronological telling on that to preserve the twists. Mm-hmm. This one, I absolutely agree. I think we should have begun with the flashback to the Count. Then Lupin gets awoken. Because I don't think you need the opening scene where Lupin basically wakes up in the middle of the episode and goes, wondering how I got here, huh? Which we didn't call out. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, I also don't know if we've actually met the Count yet. I totally forgot if we have, because all the owl people... Okay, sorry, this is going to sound bad. All of the owl people look the same. So we have seen the Count once, at least, because he was the one who was trying to negotiate with Lupin before they pulled machine guns on him. That was the... Okay, they do not do a good job of signaling without, like, a lot more context which one is the Count and which ones are the other owl people the white owl is the count got it got it yeah that makes sense now but they could have done more to distinguish him like make him bigger make him broader different outfit something he does have a different outfit he has okay. a sort of teal and purple suit it's kind of a counterpart to lupin zone mm, okay i will look for it in the future because watching this episode did not it did not penetrate i was just like oh the one sleeping in bed that's clearly the big guy because that's his room yeah all the other owls are a brown head uh the count mm. is a white got it that's also why if you look back to the fortune teller episode it's a white owl that flies in who talks mm. to the fortune teller yeah you want to be looking for a snowy owl mm-hmm but yeah, I I defended I defended non chronological storytelling on the Castro episode. I think this one would work a lot better with it. I still think you can preserve some of the twist because again, uh, possibly Dream Zenigata is ambiguous. It's there to make you doubt. Is Lupin seeing things? How much can we trust from his visions of Kaiser? Where did he get this data? Did he yeah. read things while he was tripped out? Who knows? Yeah. And I, I think also this gives context to the psychedelia flashbacks, right? Because if Fujiko was being experimented on with the drug, of course, her memory and experience of it would be trippy, right? Mm-hmm. She wouldn't. Yeah. She wouldn't feel like she's in an operating room. She'd be feel like she's surrounded by owl people getting uh, poked at uh, whatever. Uh, still very gross. Uh, it definitely like it's. The psychedelia is doing a lot of work in terms of not just setting tone and style, but also softening the impact of the really gross shit. And I don't know if that I mean, I guess it's to the show's benefit, but also it kind of. It makes it more palatable, but I don't know if that's okay. (laughs) Well. Next time, we'll come back in two weeks with the end of the series, if not our season, because there are three OVAs to cover. But we will discuss, A, the fate of Fujiko Mine and Count Louis Yu Almeida, and B, the wrap-up to every question we just asked here, as well as, what is Oscar doing? Garrett, would you like to plug anything? Uh, sure, I'll plug a thing. Um, I talk on another podcast about Karate Bugman uh, via Common Writer at journeythroughthedecacast.com. 
where um, there's episodes where we talk about the thing we're meant to talk about for once. I'm in the Hooray. middle of editing one of them now, which only got a little off topic. And uh, you can also listen to Lightning Strikes Thrice. That is a, our JRPG Games Club podcast on the Pitch Drop Network. Uh, Sybil and I are currently on it. Chris has been on it in the past. We also have our co-host, Ryan, who is, uh, you know, d- does other work with us uh, with um, the Final Fantasy 14 podcast. But anyway, we're playing Final Fantasy 8. It's uh, It's been a trip. Uh, and uh, we're currently currently in disc two and things are getting weird so you can listen to that you can listen to our patron only boku no stop version which uh chris john and i are talking about death note and the show has started over again we're episode 27 28 uh so interesting stuff (laughs) Um, yeah yeah Yeah, you recorded that directly before coming into this didn't you yeah, we just did. Yeah. So strange. So, so strange. It's a trip. I will say nothing else for fear of ruining things. Yep. 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 But with that, again, we'll see you in two weeks, and we'll be back in the end of the series with the end of the series, if not the season, and we'll discuss what happens to Oscar and what's the answer to all these mysteries. See you around. Peace. Bye.